I've never seen the pyramids in Egypt in person. I'd like to one day, but as of right now, I've just seen the pyramids through pictures, which my favorite pictures, I've found there's an entire community dedicated to this. And so if you want to go home and Google this, I would encourage it. Apparently, there is a pizza hut in Egypt, and if you look out the window, you can see the pyramids. And there's one particular seat that has the Pizza Hut hat roof decal thing on the window. And if you sit in just the right seat and take a picture at just the right angle, you can put the little Pizza Hut roof right on top of the Great Pyramid of Giza, which I think is amazing. But those pyramids are unbelievable feats of human achievement. And of course, they served the main purpose of being tombs for the Egyptian kings. But they also had another clear, distinct purpose, intentional or not. Because when people living inside of Egypt would see these incredible pyramids being constructed and then completed, they would be reminded the kind of kingdom in which they lived. They would be reminded of the power and the wealth that Egypt had, and because of that, the power and the wealth of that king. But they also stood as a reminder, not simply for the people inside the borders and the barriers of Egypt, but also to the nations around. Because it was a way of Egypt saying, listen, this is what we do for our graves. This is what we do for something that is not crucially and totally important. This is where we put our money for fun. And so imagine if you tried to cross us the wrong way, what we could do if we took this wealth and this power and we turned it on you. And so monuments like this, feats of arrogance and boasting, public relations and propaganda have been tools that have been used all throughout history by kings and kingdoms to both rule and to make their presence known in the world. Rulers like Alexander the Great, as he spread the the kingdom of Greece all over the known world and made the world so much smaller. People like Julius Caesar, who built on that legacy with the Roman Empire and made the world even smaller as the Roman Empire took over much of the known world, they would put their face on coins. And not only would they put their face on coins so that everywhere that coin traveled and everywhere currency was exchanged, they would know who the leader was and who was in charge. They would often put scenes on the back of those coins depicting battles. And so as people would exchange money and money would change hands in everyday life, people would be reminded constantly that all of this belongs to Caesar. And all this belongs to Caesar. All this belongs to Alexander because of the work that they've done and the power that they have. You may even be living in a village that was once not Rome and now is Rome. And you could be seeing on your coin the very battle that caused you to lose your independence as a nation. And so all of these things would be used to promote kingdoms and to show their power and their majesty. And now as we reach Luke 13, Jesus has an opportunity to do exactly that. To put the majesty of the kingdom on display and to show everyone how big and how awesome the kingdom of heaven really is. And it starts with a question. He says, what is the kingdom of God like and to what shall I compare it? Now, Luke doesn't tell us the context or the the way that Jesus spoke these words. He doesn't give us an idea for how Jesus presented himself as an orator. And so we don't know how this question was asked. But I would like to imagine maybe he does it the way that I would do it. And I could see this as being just a nice big hype video. You know, he's about to reveal the kingdom of God. And so I'd probably have Bryce behind me hitting the kick drum. And people get really excited because it's the beats dropping, something's coming, and I'd start real low. You know, what is the kingdom like? 
And they'd be like, what? We can't hear you. And they'd be getting excited. And so I'd say it a little louder. What is the kingdom of God like? And they'd get excited, maybe start peanuts dancing a little bit. And they would be moving and we'd be building the hype. And so finally we'd get to that crescendo part where we just yell, what is the kingdom like? And they're like, please tell us. And I would say, what is the kingdom like? And then Jesus answers the question. And he says, the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. (laughs) And I imagine the peanuts dancing stops a little bit. And some guys in the back row are like, what what did he say? I think he said the kingdom is like a mustard seed. That's what I thought he said too. That's kind of weird, right? That is kind of unexpected. Because up to this point, everything is building. Jesus is teaching and more and more people are following. The crowds are getting bigger. His run-ins with the religious leaders and the tension between Jesus and these religious elite in the community, it's starting to really build. And so now Jesus takes this opportunity where he has this captive audience and he can teach what the kingdom is like. And again, he uses this opportunity to illustrate how unexpected and upside down the kingdom of God really is. And so today we're going to look at a few of these parables as Jesus reveals to us what the kingdom of God is like. And we're going to see how the characteristics of the kingdom of heaven teach us how to live in a way that reflect those characteristics everywhere that we go. And so we're going to look at Luke chapter 13 and read the two parables in verses 18 through 21. And then I want to jump over to chapter 17 and read verses 5 and 6. But Jesus said, therefore, what is the kingdom of God like? Probably not as loudly as I did it. And to what shall I compare it? It is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his garden. And it grew and became a tree. And the birds of the air made nests in its branches. And again, he said, to what shall I compare the kingdom of God? It's like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour until it was all leavened. And then from chapter 17, verses 5 and 6. The apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. And the Lord said, if you had faith like a grain of mustard seed, you could say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it would obey you. May God add his blessing and his favor to the reading of his word. Thanks be to God for his word. Father God, as we do every week, we just thank you for your word. And God, we thank you for just the incredible, unexpected nature of the kingdom. As Jesus brought the kingdom in with a whisper and not a shout. As Jesus took the kingdom to the back roads and the countrysides, to the poor and the oppressed and the needy. And as Jesus compares the kingdom to something like a mustard seed that begins so small, but grows to be something so powerful. And so, Father, I pray that as you have through this entire series, that you would teach us more about the kingdom of God and what it means and what it is and the characteristics of it. And God, as we see these things illustrated through Jesus' parables today, teach us to live as people who reflect those characteristics in every day of our lives. And so, God, we just ask that you speak through your word and teach us, and we ask all these things in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. I would imagine if you've been here at all over the past several months as we've been talking through Jesus' teaching in Luke, you are probably getting tired of hearing me whine about not being good at gardening, but I'm sorry. 
Jesus has a lot of agrarian and agricultural illustrations in all of his teachings, and it just reminds me over and over again that I am not as good at gardening as I want to be. Because gardening just seems like such a peaceful endeavor. And you wake up in the morning, and you go out in the cool of the summer, in the cool mornings, and everything's covered in dew, and you're just quiet, and you hear the birds singing, and you go in your little garden, and you dig, and you plant seeds. It just seems... I. I feel less stressed just thinking about it. And so I want to be good at it. And I love that this is the picture that Jesus paints of the kingdom of God. That it's like a man who takes this grain of a mustard seed and he takes it out and he plants it in his garden. Throughout history, kings and kingdoms and presidents and governments and powerful people are often loud, sometimes brash, and even arrogant. Because so much of this is based on reputation. Even in a world where we live that's so connected through social media and the internet, there is still this priority put on people who want to be in power or are in power being very loud and boisterous and making their presence known. Kingdoms are often very visible and very noticeable. But this kingdom is different. And there's maybe no greater place than we see that than in how the kingdom began than that moment when the kingdom of God came into earth. And he did that, not in a palace, not in writing on the sky, not in a proclamation throughout the nations, but he did that in the smallest tribe in a little people called the Israelite people. In a very tiny town, a town called Bethlehem, through the tiniest of human beings in the form of a baby, God brought the kingdom into the world. In fact, we sing a song around Christmas time and during the Advent season, and the title of that song is Silent Night, as we remember Christ being born into the world. And I have two kids, neither of which are particularly fond of going to sleep, and so I know that that night was probably not terribly silent for Mary and Joseph. But when you zoom out, and on the big picture of the entire world, that was a very silent night. For everybody else that wasn't there in that little moment, For just Mary and Joseph and the shepherds, it was a crazy night. For everybody else in the world, it was like nothing changed and like nothing happened. And it's in that moment that God sent the kingdom of God into the world. Mustard seeds are very, very small. You can hold them on the tip of your finger. And because of that, mustard seeds are very humble and they're very vulnerable. Even the smallest of bird could fly by and take the mustard seed and it would be gone. And this is how Jesus teaches us that the kingdom began. Coming into the world as a baby. And then Jesus begins going throughout the countrysides, on all the back roads, teaching about the kingdom of God. This very powerful, amazing thing begins with what ultimately amounts to a whisper. And I think that creates a problem for us in Western Christianity, American Christianity. Because for as long as we've really known, for the the memorable part of history, we belong to a nation that has considered itself a nation under God, a Christian nation, whatever that means. We believe that we are founded on these Christian principles, and Christianity is the biggest religion in the world, and certainly the biggest religion in our country. And so it can become very difficult to recognize this kind of humility in practicing our faith, because we have been in power for a very long time. And so as we looked at last week, we are often too concerned about having our feelings hurt or some sort of rights violated than we are going out and sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
We're more worried about people offending us than we are about going out and caring for the poor and the broken and the oppressed. But we have this calling as we look at the picture of the kingdom to reflect our king in that kingdom. The king who started as a tiny, vulnerable child in the middle of a small town where no one noticed. A kingdom that has all the power of the universe held within it, but decided to start as small as a mustard seed. Jesus teaches us that in the kingdom of God, the last shall be first and the first shall be last. He teaches us that the greatest shall be least and the least shall be greatest, that our sights should be set. Our desires should be set not on being the best or the bravest or the loudest, but our desires should be the least in the kingdom of God to be servants because we have and we serve a kingdom where the king of that kingdom laid down his crown for us and put on servants' clothes. And so it's our responsibility to live that same kind of life, to live as people covered in humility, waiting for the day that one day God will lift us up. Because the kingdom began so small and so carefully, we should be a people of humility. It should be our desire to live the nativity every single day until one day resurrection is in our grasp and God lifts us up and exalts us on his time. But that requires for most of us a completely new way of thinking. A completely upside down way of thinking to reflect that kingdom of God and to choose a life of humility and service over a life of trying to get ahead and push others down. So because the kingdom began small like a mustard seed, it's our calling to reflect that in our humility. As Jesus continues through all of his ministry, we see times where he made it known that he was a king. Again, not in a loud or or bragging way, not in the arrogant way, not building shrines to himself or making proclamations, but sometimes in the quiet moments, Jesus would reveal to a small group of people that yes, he is the king that God had promised. As Jesus was teaching about the kingdom of God in those early teachings, he would say, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. And the people would be looking around saying, where is this kingdom? And he says, don't look here or there because the kingdom of God is in your midst. He's saying, I am right here around you. I am the king you've been looking for. Don't look past me or you're going to miss it. During that time when Jesus stood on trial before the Roman government, as he looks at Pilate, Pilate sees this man in front of him and he's heard these rumors that this man is some sort of king. And so he says, I've heard that you're a king. Is this true? And Jesus says, yeah, what you say is true. I'm a king. And Pilate says, man, you don't look like a king. The people that you're supposed to be their king, they're the ones that turned you over to me. And so maybe you say you're a king, but I'm, I'm not really seeing it. Kingdoms, especially big ones, are usually pretty noticeable. They're usually very hard to miss. But again, this kingdom is very different. This one began so small and then it didn't exactly explode. Because after the nativity, we see that Jesus just grew up. He grew in wisdom and stature and favor with men and became a man. And then he began to go around these countrysides teaching and some people started catching on. And a little bit by a little bit, as he goes from town to town, his following began to grow larger and larger and larger. And then it seems like Jesus shipwrecks the whole thing. Because he starts teaching some very hard teachings the closer and closer he gets to Jerusalem and people start questioning and say, wait, 
I don't know if I like what he said here. I don't think I'm following where he's going. And so people started falling away and falling away until finally Jesus finds himself arrested and then beaten and then crucified. And as Jesus sits on that cross, there's not great crowds around him any longer, but just a few of his closest friends and family. And then he dies. But then on that third day, we know that he rose from the grave. And then all of a sudden, he started to appear to people and teach people. And Luke says over 500 people saw the resurrected Christ. And the apostles had this new sense of faith and this new sense of passion. And so now all of a sudden we see the kingdom begin to grow again. And thousands of people are being added to the number daily who are being saved. But even thousands of people in the grand scheme of the entire population of the world, it's still a very small kingdom. And as the kingdom is growing, there are rulers and occupations trying to keep that down. They're trying to snuff out this new movement in the church. And the early church is experiencing persecution. And so the kingdom is growing, but it's growing under trials and tribulation, and it's not blowing the doors off of anything, but it's a slow and steady growth. It takes a long time for trees to grow, except sweet gum trees. They seem to grow very quickly. They come in those little spiky balls, and they take over your yard and just grow everywhere, and so quickly. They're amazing. I don't want them because they grow more, but the ones that you really want, it seems like those take some time. We have a couple apple trees that we planted last year. One of them I'm very excited about because it's a Granny Smith apple, which is by far the superior apple. It has a delicious crunch and a little bit of tart. It's a wonderful apple. And I'm so excited about the day when I can go out my front door and just grab a Granny Smith apple and eat it. And that day is not today. And it doesn't look like it's going to happen this year. And it might happen next year. Definitely should be getting some apples by the next year. But that is a long way away. And it feels like an eternity. And these trees are growing, but they're growing slowly. But they're growing. And this simple parable that Jesus teaches is this amazing beacon of hope if we pay attention. He says, and what shall I compare it to? It's like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his garden. And it grew. Last week, we talked about the difficulty of of sharing our faith and how sometimes going out and loving our neighbors ourselves and caring for those in need and telling people about Jesus can be a very difficult and frustrating and sometimes heartbreaking endeavor. But we're also reminded here that this kingdom that we're a part of is something that is older and bigger than we are. And that God doesn't necessarily always work on our timing. And even though we know that God could snap his fingers and the kingdom would be filled and everyone would turn, that's not the way that God chooses to work. And he works little by little and bit by bit and sees this kingdom grow through steady, faithful growth. And this gives us freedom. Seeing the slow growth of the kingdom reminds us that we have the freedom to take the long road of kingdom building that we're not in a hurry, that we're not in a race, that we can invest in people's lives and really love our neighbors ourselves as we teach them about who Jesus is through our words and through our works. And we can learn how to work in God's timing. Because just like the kingdom teaches us that we should be people covered in humility, the kingdom also reminds us that we should be people who are patient. But of course, patience is hard. I know that maybe more than anyone. I'm a very impatient person. And this means that we have to trust God. And we have to learn to trust in his timing. And we have to learn to be people who can wait well, 
who work while we're waiting, who do what God has called us to do, but know that everything is not going to happen directly in our timing, but that's okay because we serve a God who holds time and space in the palm of his hand. And so we learn to trust in God and to be patient in the midst of seeing his kingdom grow. And then one day we'll see it grow to its fulfillment, but to its fullness. Trees really are amazing things. Think about the comparison of a couple of the parables that Jesus has taught in the book of Luke. In the parable of the sower, he tells us about this man who goes out and he spreads seed all over the ground. And some of that seed falls on bad soil and some of that seed falls on good soil. But one of the hazards that he says to this, this seed that's sown out, that's supposed to represent the kingdom of God, is birds. And he said the birds come and they snatch it and they take it away. And so the kingdom, as it begins, this mustard seed is small enough for a bird to snatch it and take it away. But Jesus says the kingdom of God is planted and rooted and it begins to grow. And that one day when it grows to its fullness, that it's going to be a tree big enough that those same birds that at one point in time could come by and snatch the seed and carry it away. Now that tree is so big that those birds can make nests in its branches. The kingdom begins small and it grows quietly. But Jesus reminds us here that something greater is coming. But for those people who Jesus is teaching here, they were waiting on the kingdom. They were expecting the kingdom. And they were expecting something much different. They were expecting the kingdom with the walls and the, the borders and the boundaries and the, the castles and all of that stuff. They were expecting the king to come in and take over Jerusalem and sit on a throne and rule over all the earth. And that's not the picture that Jesus is painting for them. And what we find here is that a God who is not in a hurry is very difficult for impatient people to understand. But even though this kingdom started small, we are reminded that it is being built by the God who spoke the universe into existence. The same God who created the heavens and the earth out of nothing. The same God who set the universe in motion and holds it in his hand and keeps everything spinning. The same God who put every star where it should go. That is the God who is building this kingdom. And so he who began that good work, even though it started so small and so quietly, is one day going to finish that work. And when he does, it's going to be bigger and more amazing and more jaw-dropping than we could ever expect or imagine. And if you are in Christ, if you've trusted in Jesus for salvation, that is the kingdom to which you belong. And there are plenty of days when belonging to the kingdom, when being a follower of Christ feels more mustard seed than it does tree. There are days when we feel hopeless. There are days when we feel powerless. There are days when we feel that God is distant or that we're somehow not who we are supposed to be or that we don't have any, any sort of power or voice or anything in this world and that we're being overwhelmed. And on those days, we have to remember our king. And we have to remember that it's his power raising this kingdom. And so while we're called to be people of humility, and while we're called to be people of patience, we are also called to be people of great confidence. We should have the confidence knowing that this is the kingdom that we live in, that we have the confidence to worship God, that we have the confidence to follow Jesus wherever he leads and serve him wherever he calls us to serve and to be people who share the gospel wherever we go. The writer of Hebrews got this. In Hebrews 12, 28, it says, therefore, let us be grateful 
for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus, let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. The writer of Hebrews says, this kingdom that we've been given, and this, that passage comes right off of the heels of men and women in chapter 11 of Hebrews who gave their lives pursuing that kingdom who were arrested and tortured and murdered for their faith. But the writer of Hebrews says, not even that can take away this kingdom. Because this kingdom to which you belong is a kingdom that cannot be shaken. No one can tear it down. No one can take it away. And so because of that, you should live lives of gratitude, celebrating and worshiping God because he is a consuming fire who loves you and protects you and has this plan for you that is something beyond what you could ever imagine. And so because of that, go out and be people of confidence boldly coming into God's presence, boldly worshiping God with grateful hearts, looking at the world through God's eyes, not being scared of what might come against us, but being called to a passionate life of going out where God leads and doing the work that God has called us to do. In Luke 17, Jesus gives us this other parable pertaining to a mustard seed. And the apostles came to Jesus and they ask for something that, that I get. I get this request from the disciples. It says, the apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. And Jesus looks at him. He says, that's not really what you need. He says, if you had faith like a grain of mustard seed, you could say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it would obey you. Because that's what life in the kingdom looks like. That even the smallest grain of faith in Jesus gives us full access to the power of God. And so there is no place that God calls us that we can't go. There's no task that God assigns us that we cannot complete. Because even Jesus told his disciples, listen, you are going to go and you're going to do far greater things than even I. Because I'm going to be working with you and through you. And we have the power of the Holy Spirit working in us, giving us the ability to go out and to do kingdom work. And so we have nothing to fear. We have no reason to be anxious about what God has called us to do, but we have all that we need as we sit in this kingdom, in this tree, deeply rooted and fully formed. We know that we can do with confidence the work that God has called us to. And then in verses 20 and 21, Jesus says another parable. He says, to what shall I compare the kingdom of God? It's like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour until all was leavened. And this three measures of flour was enough to feed over a hundred people. And she takes just this little bit of yeast and she puts it in the flour and the yeast begins to grow and to spread and to multiply like this leaven does. And eventually, the entire lump, the entire three measures of flour was fully leavened. It spread and it spread until it was all full and everything was accomplished. And therein lies the secret of the kingdom. The kingdom of God that started so small through the work of Christ and through the ministry of the church begins to grow and grow and spread and spread until one day it will be completely full. And then what was once small will be shown to be incredibly big. What grew quietly will be revealed by trumpet blasts when Jesus brings the kingdom of God in its fullness. One day when he comes back to make everything right and everything new, we will see the full glory of God revealed through the finished kingdom of Christ. And then the humble and the patient 
and confident workers of the kingdom will be glorified with that kingdom. And that's our hope. That's our reward that's waiting for us through this humble and faithful and confident work that Jesus has called us to. And that is the big picture of the gospel. And it's something that does begin very small within us when God just changes our hearts and makes us new. And the Bible tells us that comes by grace through faith. And so no matter who you are, no matter where you've come from, you don't have to earn your way in or buy your way into the kingdom because Jesus did all of that for us. And the Bible says that anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved, that anyone who trusts in Christ and repents of their sins will be made new. And that is a once and for all thing, that Jesus saves us from the inside out and he plants that seed and that grows into fruit and that it makes us more and more like Christ every day. And Paul says that one day he's going to finish that work in us. And that anyone who has put their faith in Jesus will receive that full reward and we will be with Christ forever. But until that day, as we've seen in so many of Jesus' teachings so far, we are reminded that we have work to do. And that as kingdom members doing kingdom work, our character and our efforts should reflect the nature of the kingdom. And so we should live and work and speak with humility. We should be patient, trusting in God's timing in all things, but also confident knowing that it's not based on my strength or my skills, but that it's the power of God working in and through me in everything that I do. And so I can not only worship God confidently, I can not only pray confidently, but I can go out and I can live my life and share my faith and work for the good of others with incredible confidence, knowing that even things that are beyond my grasp and beyond my reach are not beyond God's. And as a member of the kingdom, I have access to that kind of power to go and to serve him. And so we should do that with confidence. And so let's live lives that reflect our kingdom until one day we see that kingdom in full.